Hi guys, and welcome back to the Not So Fit Couple podcast with your hosts, Mr. Benjamin Holden and Lucy Davis. Feels a little bit weird this week leading the intro, but um, I know. I'll, I'll steal a show for once. But this week we are, as the topic explained, we're going to go over overtraining. But I think the, the main purpose we wanted to cover this topic was due to obviously in the UK, well in England, the gyms are now back open. Praise the Lord, and gains can now be made. <laughs> and I think this this kind of topic is something that's going to be quite relevant over the next upcoming weeks and even months. But to be fair, like this first week back training has been amazing for routine. But even in myself, I felt a little bit worn down. It's difficult getting back into routine. As good as it is being back in the gym, we need to just be careful with what we are doing. Yeah, I think it's a little bit weird because I, for one, found it so strange to go back to the gym and have that normal routine and get back into things. And it actually made me really kind of anxious to go back. And I know so many people also felt this because you kind of didn't know what the gym was going to be like. Um, The capacity, are people around each other? Like, do you have to wear masks? So just to give you a bit of an insight, we go to Pure Gym and we work with them on a bit more of like a collaborative 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 <laughs> basis so we did know quite a lot about the gyms before they opened now the pure gym that we go to is massive so we're really fortunate in that aspect that the capacity is pretty high i honestly feel like they won't even fill that capacity what even was the capacity of ours like 180 I think full capacity is like 195. But no, ours just now being cut to 120, but the most that I've been in there is like 66, and ours is is a large gym, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's kind of like a giant warehouse with gym gym kit in, which is amazing. Now, they've been really efficient, and I I, I can say that we've been to the gym a few times now. Everything is in its own box. You can't move the equipment around. There's cleaning stations, um, so you you spray some cloth or paper tissue and you go wipe down your kit, which is obviously great. And we've seen most people, well, I've seen all people doing it really. And if someone's not like the PTs are good, they are pointing out saying, can you just clean your equipment and things like that. The only thing that's a little bit weird is, so me and Ben obviously train together. We're training partners. We film each other and things like that. And the first day back, I went to go on the calf press straight after Ben. You don't train calves. I do train calves. I literally want in the blue moon. <laughs> and the PT came over and said, so sorry, you can't train together. And we're like, oh, but we're from the same household. That's weird. And it's basically because they can't track and trace you. I don't know why. I don't know the ins and outs. I think it's, I think with that one, like, obviously they knew that we were from the same household because we were there all the time. Yeah. But I think the issue was, was, the sticking to like these new guidelines have been brought into the by the government. I think it's called like safety first or something like that, which not every gym has signed up to, but pure gym has, so it means that they have to enforce that. But I think at the first weekend they had guys were coming in like, Oh, we're from the same household when obviously they weren't. It's so like a group of five lads. Yeah, <laughs> when it makes it, it difficult. So that's why it's weird though, because like you can go home and fuck, but you can't be on the same car phrase together. I mean, <laughs> do you know what I mean? It, but it is. Yeah. So we is, we we did it's, kind it's, of it's, question it's, it's it, weird. didn't we? A little bit, just saying like, oh, like why is that? And they did say it was because of track and trace. So what me and Ben have actually done. So say for example, we did a leg session. Whilst Ben was on leg press, I would do hack squat. So I do all my sets on the hack squat. Ben would do leg press, and then we just switch over. So you can't use the same barbell and things. And that is just something to know if you are at a pure gym. 
I say pure, really weird. Pure, pure, pure gym. And then just one last thing. They have taken out all the tires, the boxes, the steppers, because there's too many touch points. So girls, if you're hip thrusting, I freaking feel your pain because the optimal height for hip thrusts is 15 inches, which is the two boxes you put on top of each other because the benches in pure gym are too high. I mean, you know, you're just going to have to make do for now. And I'm going to do a video on this anyway, but the best thing to do is grab yourself a bench and put it on a decline. I think the other thing with that is it affects, if you're a PT, it affects you as a PT, or if you have a PT, it affects your PT, because technically they can't spot you now. Yeah. And that's difficult, because even if you say to your PT, well, I'm actually not that bothered. I know you probably don't have COVID, and you're taking the precautions. So I'm not really worried about COVID. I'm more worried about the barbell coming down on my neck and choking me the fuck out. Like, yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean? There's, again, but it's like, you it, it's like common me. sense. I know. And that's Which the hard thing, especially weird. for people who, I'd, 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 for example, I haven't um, had any experience with this at the moment or, or seen it, but what about people who might have certain disabilities who need that support mm. or need that extra? I, I don't know if there's additional guidelines for that, but it's just something to be aware of. I think the other thing to be aware of is that your workouts are pot- potentially going to take a little bit longer because obviously you've got a clean, clean kit yeah, down and stuff as well. So. I mean, coming from Spain, and we did a week of training in Spain to come back to the UK, I still think guidelines, for, especially for the gym that we were in, were a bit stricter because we had to wear the mask whilst training. You were actually given your own cleaning kit before you even which went into the gym. Which way better. Which was good, but obviously I, I can I'm gonna see... I'm going to make my own. I can see from <laughs> from, from a pure gym perspective with a, a membership base, which is a lot bigger, that's probably difficult to do. Mm. But I think they should even encourage people just to bring their own. I mean, again, there might be implications with people not bringing, like strongly sanitized stuff where some people bring a bit of piss in a bottle and, and spray stuff down but I mean it's something that they, they could potentially encourage to do and I know I might take my own shit with me yeah I'm definitely gonna take my own spray and cloth I'm a clean freak anyway so we wanted to talk to you today about overtraining because and we've already touched on this quite a lot on the my coach school and we spoke about it to our members Going back to the gym is very, very exciting, but that excitement can sometimes get the better of you and you can push yourself so far past your limits because you have to remember you've not stepped foot in a gym in four months and yes, you might have had some really good kit at home and barbells and kettlebells and dumbbells, but it's not the same extent to a gym and having so much weight to to play with and lift with. So we really wanted just to talk to you about overtraining and then something slightly different as we actually go through the podcast that you might not have even thought of before, Mm. which is overreaching. And we will get into that more, but we both do have definitions of overtraining. I'm going to go into a bit more detail about overreaching, but Ben actually does have. Yeah. Well, I think just on that note, especially when you first go into the gym, it's like a kid for the first time when you go into the play area and it like, you just want to play around and everything. And you can be in there for far too long. And I know for a lot of guys who go and they just want to jump straight into the, the cable care machine, care the shit out of that, make the bias with swallows or anything, and then not move your arms for like four days. So the definition of overtraining, there's a, there's a couple of different definitions of overtraining, but the one that I pulled up here is that overtraining occurs when a, a person exceeds their body's ability to recover from strenuous exercise. So it's really basic, really simple. But especially this, this period in time, it can be something that um, is really easy to ignore. And I, I can't help but 
notice, and I think we spoke about this on last week's podcast, and I spoke about it in a couple of videos recently, is that a lot of people will be absolutely buzzing their tits off that they're so sore that they can't even stand up at the toilet, they can't move their arms, they feel like they couldn't sit down the glutes because they're so sore. And f- especially for me with my training at the moment, my purpose and my goal is not to be sore the next day. Because I know if my legs are sore for four days, I can't fucking go back in and do you anything. You can't even get out of bed. So I then mean... it, it hinders your recovery, it hinders the amount of volume you can do in the next session. It's not something that we want to be looking for. Now, I know Lucy's gone into a lot more detail when it comes to overreaching and overtraining, but I just wanted to kind of give you a really basic understanding of the difference between the two because i mean most of the time i would argue there are very few people that overtrain mm-hmm. most people could possibly even train a little bit harder not when we first go back but in general most people you'll find most people could probably train a little bit harder rather than them actually overtraining and overtraining is more going to be based like lisa talk about on athletes at a level where they're training like several times per day or several times per week and they're maybe under under recovering now most people more than likely when we first go back will be overreaching and over overreaching is kind of like a, a temporary condition that occurs in response to like a heavy heavy load or heavy stimulus and the symptoms of overreaching are generally feeling a little bit unwell disrupted sleep can affect mood um it doesn't have any significant impact on your actual performance in the gym and if someone recognizes that right, I'm overreaching or the, the condition of overreaching in the early stages and allows the body to regenerate properly and recover, then the condition will usually return to normal. So if a person does not allow their body to recover completely and properly and then continues to, tra- to train hard, this is what then can lead to overtraining. So overtraining is a lot different and it's a, a chronic condition of extreme fatigue. It's a serious condition. It's induced by prolonged high volume, high intensity, repeated and reoccurring training sessions. That type of training can result in serious disorders, primarily in the nervous system and and hormone systems. And I know Lucy is gonna give you a bit more information on the the, the kind of two of these and the the way that they differ. Yeah, so something that I found really interesting, so if you just kind of Google overtraining, a lot of the things that are on Google are actually scientifically wrong because it says overtraining can just happen after like a week and things like that and so many people suffer with overtraining and it's actually something that you learn in GCSE and I remember doing a GCSE and A level about overtraining and it can happen I mean I'm only 23 you know (laughs) and it can happen just like really quickly after like a week and I remember learning that and then that that's just wrong (laughs) so as Ben said there's two things that we wanted to touch on. So you have overreaching and overtraining. Now, most people will overreach. They will not overtrain. I personally have never overtrained, but I have definitely overreached. And I think Mm -hmm. that's the case for most people. So there's a 2013 paper, which is prevention, diagnosis, and treatment of the overtraining syndrome. And it even says it there that overtraining is actually a syndrome. It's not just something that kind of like happens after like a few days. So there's three different areas. You have functional overreaching. So remember the difference, overreaching and overtraining. So overreaching is a purposeful increase in training stress. So basically you're placing more stress on the muscle. This could be progressively overloading your hip thrusts or your squats, for example. So lifting a bit more weight. Now, this will result in a decline in performance, but that will only last like two days to a week max. 
And then following this will be an increase in performance after recovery. So say if I went and did glutes tomorrow and I was lifting like a pretty substantial weight and then I was like quite sore and quite fatigued after because I placed a lot of stress on the muscle. But then I go back the week later and there's an increase in performance. That is overreaching, which is really, really common. And it's basically, I think, just like a synonym for effective training to an extent. And that's what a lot of people, when they say they get DOMS and they've overtrained and they're sore and they can't train for a week, a lot of the time it is just functional overreaching. Now, the second one is non-functional overreaching. And this is a decline in performance that lasts weeks to months. And that's not followed by an increase in performance. So basically, you've trained really hard for a period of time. You've gone a little bit too far. So you're really fatigued, but you continue that training And then once you recover, you just go back to baseline. You go back to where you were. There's no increase in performance. And again, a lot of people think that is overtraining. But let me actually tell you what overtraining is. Now, this is a decline in performance that lasts months or longer. And it's not followed by an increase in performance. So it's basically the same as the non-functional overreaching. But this lasts months. And this is why we're saying to you, not that many of you will have actually had overtraining syndrome because I assure you, you've probably not been out of training for two months being absolutely fucked because that's what overtraining is. You've probably just been to that stage where you've overreached and you've pushed your training that little bit too far when you you know the fatigue is there. So in your head, it's like, I should probably take a few rest days or have a deload week, but you don't. And that's when you overreach your own training. Um, But with overtraining, you're absolutely fucked (laughs) for quite a long period of time. So that's just the difference between the two. And it's actually really interesting because I don't think a lot of people actually know about that and know the difference between the two. But it is so important to understand that slight difference. It's because it's branded around on like the internet and social media over time. But like uh, overtraining doesn't exist. Um, Yeah. I, I don't honestly know of anyone who's really ever, ever spoke about overreaching because I think that is more relevant to the everyday person who goes and trains or even quite an advanced lifter. Mm-hmm. Like most athletes w- won't even probably incur overtraining just because the program's set up for them yeah. not to do so. So overreaching, I would say, is a lot more important um, and why we probably put more emphasis on it through this podcast. And the symptoms for how you can kind of notice overreaching, overtraining... Um, is, is something that we can dive into just so that you have a better understanding of why this may happen and, and kind of looking for those initial stages. Because I know, for example, even this week for me, I've only been in the gym two days and I've potentially overreached because I've been a little bit um, more tired. I've been a bit more worn down, especially last night. I was I was um, had disruptive sleep and mood fluctuations like, Last night we were in bed and Lucy took a load of the quilt off me. Honestly, <laughs> honestly, there was ag over the quilt, which wouldn't. I thought I was going to get the blanket and go upstairs. And <laughs> like, well, I have a whole blanket to myself. <laughs> but there's there's certain things that you can um, look out for, especially in this first week or two back in the gym, in regard to the the symptoms or kind of signs that we want to look for 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 overreaching. So. Some of those can be like a slow heart rate recovery after training. Um, obviously, you're not going to be looking out for, for blood pressure, but with the heart readings, it's quite easy to look at what your heart rate is, maybe compare it to what you usually be, but there is apps for that as well. 
The other things that we want to look out for is like stress responses, nervousness, again, unrestful sleep, decreased levels of concentration, are you a bit more anxious than you usually are? Um, are you sweating a lot more than you usually would? Are you not really motivated to train? Have you got loss of appetite? Is there a change in your body weight? These are all kind of like symptoms and signs that we can look out for in relation to overreaching. Now, if you don't pay attention to these signs and alarms and you continue to, to train intensely, even though you're showing signs of overreaching, then we're gonna start the process of kind of over over training and a really slow down in that recovery and regeneration. So then we start to see it affect our, our low he- uh, resting heart rate. We can then expect it to affect our blood pressure. Some people can even get depressed from it if you think mm-hmm. about it. Like you're really, really run down constantly and you're still battering yourself training. It, it, this is a case where it can eventually start to affect your mental health. You're gonna have like real, uh, chronic fatigue um, it is really going to start to affect your sleeping patterns and there'll be other parts and symptoms that will crop up over time which you want to kind of be mindful of and again I like to use this analogy um, when it comes to training because at the end of the day we all love training we all go to the gym we all want to feel better we all want to look a bit sexier in ourselves but too much of any good thing is going to be bad mm-hmm. so I like to use the analogy of, of the sun. So we go on holiday, we like to sunbathe a little bit, like to get a little bit of a tan, but there's gonna be a point if we sit out in the sun for too long, we're gonna burn. Yeah. And it's exactly the same with training. Too much of any good thing is gonna be bad. So that's why we wanna try and get it in doses. And at the end of the day, when we first come back to training, especially in the first couple of weeks, it's gonna be a balance of recovery versus volume. Just a real quick one, just before you move on from the symptoms. One of the biggest symptoms from overtraining, from what Ben was saying, is it gets to the stage where you have no choice but to take time off because you're either so fatigued, you have like chronic fatigue syndrome, or you're injured. So injury is one of the biggest things with overtraining because with overreaching you kind of can say okay Lucy it is time to have some rest it is time to take a deload week it's time to have a a bit of time off with overtraining you have no choice but to take that time off like you physically have to take that time off or you're going to completely like destroy an injury or run yourself into the ground but I just wanted to add that in there because that is a super important element of overtraining well, I think, like I was saying, it's going to be a balance that between recovery and volume. So what we don't want to do is, like, the whole point of overtraining is we don't want to get to a point where we overdo it and our body can't recover from the amount of volume that we're doing, which, again, is going to mitigate the amount of progress and the amount of gains that we can make, which is basically the whole point of why we're going to the gym. So just to really clarify the terminology that we're using, so volume is how much of a thing that you are actually doing to, to really dumb it down. And then the other thing that we usually want to keep an eye on is our intensity when we first go back. Now, intensity can be quite subjective. So the adaption you are trying to get will dictate the intensity. So what we're trying to achieve will dictate what our intensity is. And this can often be, um, I suppose, defined by the difficulty of the, the movement or what the exercise that you're doing or the intensity of the load. So for example, a 1RM or intensity of effort can sometimes be a good measure of this 
and, and it's independent of how hard something maybe was so for example what our rpa is is obviously uh, or often quite a good measure of intensity which is means rate of perceived exertion so for example how difficult or how hard something was sometimes again that's why it can be subjective because you could say oh that was really really hard when really was it mate was it was it really that hard yeah i think that's very individual as well so obviously me and ben trains well we used to train together and <laughs> mm. um, no but we obviously go to the gym together we are doing the same things i could literally be like a six on the rp scale and ben could be a 10 mm-hmm. and it's completely individual so if you're training like with someone or near someone <laughs> I feel like I have to say you're just training near someone now. We don't train together anymore. Don't, just, we're, we're, don't, we're base, <laughs> don't base your RPE off someone else. And also don't feel discouraged if you find something a little bit harder than someone else yeah. does. It's completely, completely individual. And it doesn't, doesn't come down to strength or fitness levels either because there's some movements that I remember, especially when I first started doing it, there's like this absolutely batshit crazy exercise Lucy showed me about two years ago and it's like a, a single leg RDL into a clean lunge onto a yeah. platform and like obviously well I say obviously but my strength's a bit higher than yours and um, this had nothing to do with the complexity of the movement and I really struggled doing it and Lucy didn't so it's not RP isn't always just dictated by how fit or strong you are it's obviously dictated by the um, difficulty sometimes of the exercise as well mm-hmm yeah definitely so when we're speaking about volume this is something that i really want people to consider in this next week or two when we're going back into the gym because this may influence what type of workouts you are doing and how you approach your workouts and this comes down to the amount of volume and the reason why volume is so important is because this is where a lot of people may come unstuck with overreaching and may hinder the recovery so we don't want to be at a point where we're really 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 sore and we can't get back into the gym. Soreness is probably the worst indication that we can use it um, in general, and even more so over the next couple of weeks when we're looking at the effectiveness or the efficiency of our of our workouts. So there's three different sort of indicators that we can use, and this was something that was put together by Dr. Mike Isatel um, for monitoring the amount of volume that we're doing them. It's called MV, MEV, and MAV. So MV stands for maintenance volume. This is the amount of training aka the number of sets that we're doing that allow you to maintain your current level of muscular size so if we just want to go in and maintain what we're doing this is what would usually mean that we can just maintain our gains maintain the amount of muscle we've got and it's thankfully a very very low number <laughs> pretty low um i remember looking at some of the uh, papers that were published on this and say for example we didn't go to the, the gym for months i.e during covid and um, then we would only actually have to do like one ninth of the amount of volume or the amount of work that we usually would to just maintain muscle tissue. Yeah, I think a lot of people were very, very worried about losing all their hard work and the muscle that they'd gained over lockdown. And we were saying to people, if you don't have kit at home, you're probably not going to build that much muscle. And that is absolutely okay. Obviously, you can go to failure, you can change the volume and things. But you're probably just going to be able to maintain, which is fantastic. Yeah. Like realistically, and we said this to all our my coach school members, you're going to maintain, and it's going to be amazing. If you have more kit, you might even build a little bit, and then you're going to go back to the gym, and then you just start a whole new process yeah. and phase of training, and it really, really helped change their mindsets for the better. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what I mean. When most people are like, oh, I've lost all my gains, no, you haven't, mate. You just probably lost a little bit of water and glycogen. So that then brings us into what MEV is. So MEV is the minimum effective volume. Now, this is the amount of training that actually grows your muscles, which is 
basically what we want to do. Anything below this amount may only maintain them. So usually you would say you don't really want to be here. You don't really want to just go to the gym and just be just do enough. It's like going to the shop to pick up the milk and then coming back about it. You just you wouldn't do it, would you? So for people with a lot of time off being here or even at MB, i.e. maintenance volume, will be massively helpful. As I said at the moment, less is more. So usually you wouldn't want to be at your minimum effective volume, but within this first two week period back into the gym, this might be quite an effective period for people because they don't need to be doing loads of work in the gym. You don't need to be doing sets on sets on reps on reps. So the minute the minimum effective volume here is probably quite ideal for people who haven't been doing a lot from home. Yeah, one of the things, so a really easy way to look at this is if you were doing four or five sets before lockdown, you do two or three sets of an exercise and that way you're just kind of reducing the stress and the volume that you're doing but in a way that you're still going to benefit from it and that's probably one of the easiest ways to look Mm -hmm. at it and obviously there's things like we've already explained where you you're not going to go back in and lift what you were lifting pre-lockdown because you're not stupid so you don't do that but obviously decreasing the sets you're doing is a really simple way to not have those stresses placed on your muscles and also not absolutely destroy yourself from having the worst muscles <coughs> the worst muscle soreness i think a good way to look at this I just choked on my um, air then <laughs> like a backwards arrow yeah you ever stuck down an arrow like a chocolate arrow like, oh. never i've done okay. it with a maltese though well same same type of thing maltese is just better, better chocolate thing. i'd argue oh have you tasted the new caramel, caramel arrow wow oh my god i'm sorry we're, we're going off, off topic with it. go back to but um, the, the, the caramel <laughs> arrow by the way if you haven't tried it try it pick a bar up Tag me on Instagram, tell me what you think, because yeah. it is one of those chocolates which falls into kind of like the nine or 10 out of 10 yes, category yes, for me. Yes, However, getting back to the minimum effective volume, it's gonna be really good for some people. It's kind of like when we're looking at money. Most of the time I've asked people, would you rather work fucking hours every week to achieve um, a, um, a million pound? Or would you rather do the minimum amount of work possible to achieve a million pound and then enjoy it? It's exactly the same when it comes to this. We want to do the least we can to get the most out of it so that we can enjoy our time at the gym, we can enjoy our gains, we can enjoy the rest of our life. So that's why it's really important to understand minimum effective volume at the moment. Now, moving up on the scale, we have MAV. So this is the maximum adaptive volume. So this final range, the range of volume in which you make your best gains. So it's it's much more of a range rather than like a landmark so it can fluctuate and because it it changes greatly within each cycle of your training so this will continually go up due to progressive overload the gains you made last time will need more to achieve and this is the whole point of progressive overload so whatever you did last time in your session you're gonna have to overload it whether that's like time intensity load whatever that may be this is why mav will always change because you're always getting better so you always need to increase the load or a progressive overload, whatever you're doing to get that fixed goal. But that's why it's a range um, you aim to move through with, with volume. So that's why I really want you to understand the different types of volume and how this will be applicable over the next coming weeks during your training. So basically, don't be a dick to yourself. Don't run yourself into the ground. Don't try and do what you're doing before. Kind of position yourself away. you need to be with these different types of of, of volume so to speak and this is something that we've been doing in week one and, and some of that even potentially we've got a little bit wrong haven't we before 
Yeah, no, I think so. It's it's definitely a learning curve because I've personally never taken four months off the gym. Actually, the longest I've taken was like three months due to knee surgery. But then still I was doing upper body and I was still training. So it's interesting that everybody's kind of in the same boat and everyone's learning. And this is why it's important that we kind of just throw some of these facts at you so you are understanding things a little bit better. Mm-hmm. And I think on this topic, like when we're talking about re- this regaining phase and getting back what you've you've lost, one of the biggest questions I'm sure um, I've on Instagram is about like the muscle loss and how much they will lost and how long it'll take to get it back. And I just want to give a couple examples of this um, that I've been taking through through research papers and one of the examples so we'll, we'll start at kind of different spectrums on the on the, uh, the timeline and, and how much you've been training so for example if you've been laid up in bed and doing absolutely nothing which i'm sure no one's been laid in bed for four months during covid unless you've had severe unless case of COVID, covid yeah then you will lose a considerable amount of muscle because you've been laid up doing absolutely nothing you're not even getting up and moving but Say, for example, the only thing you've done over the last five many weeks is just walking. Um, let's do it on a, a two-week spectrum. So you've done no training for two weeks. Um, you, The type of participants that have been doing research in the field have showed no real drop-off from training just for a two-week period. So if you've just taken two weeks off completely and you've just got up and done your day-to-day stuff, washing machine, dishwasher, the kind of mundry day-to-day tasks, then you won't really lose anything. The kind of reversibility starts to come into play when you're looking at like over three weeks of doing nothing. And this is where you'll kind of start to re- regress and a trophy. So it's usually three weeks in where we'll have and start to see dips in muscle mass. And again, that's from doing absolutely nothing apart from just walking. And most of the time, like I just spoke about before, this is usually due to um, a loss in, in glycogen or water retention, which um, the fuel stores will come back quite quickly anyway when we start training again. So it's when we're starting to look at this kind of two to three months off is where we can start to see where we will lose some muscle mass again when you are doing absolutely nothing. And when we look at the two to three month mark of doing absolutely nothing, this is where we can probably start to see lose from just looking at some research, 40 to 50% of your gains. Is that sh- is that s- that's not just size, though, is it? That's like strength gains as well. Like yeah, well, well, how strong you are. Yeah, well, strength. Strength's a skill as well. So mm-hmm. strength strength's a little bit different to kind of like the, the actual muscle mass. So with strength, what the usual indicator is, is that say for example you've you've had a loss in strength, um, you've had two months off the gym. Usually, it'll take fifty percent of time to regain that strength if your training is again optimal. So if you've taken two months off, it might take a month for you to regain that strength that you've lost. Um. But like we spoke about before, if you've been doing any training at home, uh, doing a little bit of lifting, doing some um, high-intensity interval training, doing some push-ups, whatever it may be, you only really needed to do a ninth of the training volume to retain the muscle tissue that you've had um, over the last few weeks. So do you think that's obviously going to be important over this time that we've been in lockdown and not been able to go into the gyms is obviously diet and what you've been doing with that. Obviously, you would have needed to keep protein intake fairly high uh, around a gram per pound of body weight to make sure that you maintain that muscle mass the other thing is and again it's something that i was guilty of during lockdown is being in within a deficit and it's quite detrimental to the amount of muscle mass that you're holding because it inhibits 
protein synthesis, which again is obviously what helps us maintain, retain, or, or gain muscle mass. So it would have been far more beneficial for you to stay around maintenance during lockdown, which I'm sure people probably would, would have with overeating, over snacking, that kind of thing. So it's probably better that you've over a little bit more than under it during this period, especially if your goal was to try and maintain muscle tissue. Yeah, definitely. And just a side note there, in case you didn't know, on the My Coach School, you can request a complete personalized diet plan, which for a lot of you at the moment, will be very beneficial just to get everything on a plate for you so easily your macros literally your calories your day-to-day literally on a plate your monday to sunday because i do feel like the lockdown diet was like a thing mm-hmm. and people got very kind of like lost within themselves because yeah. you're kind of living in your kitchen you're working out in your kitchen you're doing everything like around that area so i think it's important to really assess kind of like where you are at the moment with your diet Mm-hmm. And then something really interesting, and me and Ben did a lot of research on this before, well, while lockdown was kind of happening because we were super interested in terms of your muscle memory. So your muscle is basically very clever and it kind of sticks around more than you think. So when so when you've been off training for, say, two to three months, you've still been doing bits and bobs, but you've been out of the gym, so like, doing heavy lifts and things like that when you actually go back you will bounce back a lot better and be able to grow that muscle back quicker Mm -hmm. than if you're a newbie to the gym so if you're building muscle from scratch yes it takes a long time it is a monthly monthly six seven months to build significant muscle but if you've just had this time off throughout lockdown and you go back to the gym you will find that you build your muscle considerably quicker than if you were just a newbie back in the gym. So I feel like enjoy that process mm-hmm. of getting back up there because it's not going to take you as long as I think a lot of people think to yeah. rebuild that muscle that they might have lost in lockdown. Like I know I've definitely lost muscle. I've also lost a bit of size in general. So loads of people have been like, oh my God, are you, are you, you must be in a really big deficit. You've lost so much weight. No, no, I've just lost, I've lost muscle. And I'm excited to to rebuild that on kind of like a new phase of training. Yeah, I think that's interesting what you just touched on there with um, muscle memory and the actual muscle nuclei sticks around for a long time. Again, there was another study that was done on rats which showed muscle memory and can can time to stick around for years. So even if you took years of training, you'd it, you could recover and come back from that period quicker. Um, there's there's some debate on it of how long it, it actually is in humans, but. I think this kind of, obviously when you first get into the gym and you have those newbie gains, you grow really quickly because you're hyper responsive to, to adaptation and stimulus is even heightened more. So so I feel for like this period now that probably a lot of people have never been in before where they've had to take a long time off training, you are in like this Brilliant. Ex- explosive, like powerful period where you can really take advantage of being back in the gym and you will grow really quickly. One, because again, you're gonna be hyper-responsive to stimulus and adaptation because you've not been in the gym for a while. And two, because you have that muscle memory anyway. So you will grow really quickly if, and this is an if, you follow a program that is scalable and progressive. If you just go in and fuck about, you won't. You may get injured. I'm sure there will be a lot of injuries coming up. Um, This is why I can't stress enough that you need to stick to a program that is going to allow you to transition from the from at home training 
and back into the gym. And this is something that me and Lisa will touch on at the end of the podcast. Um, I very think we can get very exciting stuff <laughs> going on. Um, and we'll give you a bit more information on that. But again, the whole point of this gin life is less is better. L- less is going to be more at this point. And I think just, just to kind of touch on that, and give you some of, of our advice that we're gonna be sticking to, that we're gonna be pushing home to some of our clients and some of our members on the market school, is that it's a transition. Mm-hmm. And whenever there's a transition, we wanna start low and move up. If you go in the deep end of shit, and I know this more than anyone because I can't swim, <laughs> is that you are gonna drown and you're gonna overdo yourself, you're gonna be undermotivated, you're gonna be really sore, and you're not gonna to wanna to carry on. So I kind of think in this, in this period, we're gonna have a plan of attack that me and Lucy are gonna stick to and that we're gonna kind of experiment with and we're gonna implement for our clients and our members of the school as well. Yeah, and this is actually, so before lockdown, me and Ben were in like an eight week strength building phase and we were loving it. I was about to hit PVs. And when lockdown happened, we just finished our deload week. So we were going into our final week, our eighth week of hitting PVs. And then we couldn't go back. So we stopped at a period of a deload week. Now, deload weeks are really important. And I feel like this question is asked so much. Like if you ask yourself, so imagine your current training, hopefully on the My Coach School, you will you will know that you can't keep going at the same intensity for like 10, 12 weeks. It, it, it's just not really doable. And also you will find that you end up overreaching not overtraining, you you will be overreaching if you're not taking any rest and things like that. So plain and simple, a deload is a short planned period of recovery where you take your training slightly lighter. So you work off like percentages, but you're at like 40, 50%. You maybe work out a little bit less so the frequency is less. And generally, you just ease things back. And typically it's only a week. So you'd only take like a deload week. So ours was the fifth week. No, ours was the fourth week yeah. in an eight-week block, and then we take another one at week nine before going into a different fit, um, phase of we training where you do a testing week. And I just think it's important for you guys to not be scared of kind of take, taking your foot off the gas and reducing that intensity because you'll come out the other side a hell of a lot stronger. You'll be recovered. You'll have had the vital rest because rest is so important. I know when I first started training and I'm talking when I was 18, I was very uneducated kind of, and I would literally, would not take a rest day because I thought I'd lose all my gains. I thought I'd lose all my muscle if I took a rest day, but if you're not resting, you're overreaching and you won't recover and you won't make those gains. Well, there's a reason why professional athletes do deload or they have during the periodization of training and, and their macro and micro and mesocycles that where they deload train a little bit so, oh God, so yeah. the average person definitely should we used to have so before british champs we used to have i think it was an eight week taper so for the sprinters they had an eight week taper i was long distance so i had five weeks honestly you cut back so much and this is when you are like a professional competitive athlete you don't really do tapers for the gym but if you're ready reading yourself for competition why do you think these athletes perform so well? They've not gone balls to the wall mm. right before they dive in the pool at the Olympics. They've tapered themselves to that stage and you need to look at your training the same where you have a deload week 
or a rest period so you know you can recover and perform your best. Because when you go back to that deload week, you'll be so fucking strong anyway because your central nervous system's had a break, your joints have had a break, you're ready, you recover it, and you're ready to go back in. So just in this transitional phase, I, I think I want to keep our advice nice and basic here for the for the kind of average lifter or the every day-to-day lifter who will be potentially listening to this podcast. And something that we're going to apply to ourselves, basic is often better. The less sexy something is, often the, the better result it, it gets. So I would say in like the first two weeks I was going back into the gym, go in, keep the workouts fairly short. Even like if you're doing on on, set, on exercises, doing like two sets instead of four sets is is, a, is an applicable um, amount of volume to do for across like four or five exercises. The one thing that I would say to utilize is cables. Just because mm-hmm. one, we haven't been had any of it at home unless you built a fucking home gym. And two, it's going to help you find that mind-muscle connection. That's the thing that people will often lose when they haven't been able to train for a while. It's just getting that um, feel back from movement and be able to get the stimulus on the muscle group. So we can do this via cable work whilst keeping the load off the joints and using a less demanding exercise. And this is, again, something where I would advise we use the RP scale, i.e. rate mm-hmm. of perceived aggression. So how much effort are you really putting in? And... As a marker, I would say try and keep it about six or seven um, across exercises in the first one to two weeks. And again, I will get a lot of questions. Oh, what's the best uh, split to use? How should split up in the first couple of weeks back? And again, it's going to depend on how many sessions you're going in for. Um, what like your kind of training? Don't go in for seven. Yeah. <laughs> Don't suddenly think what, you need to do seven sessions. A, a lot, it's quite good for a lot of people. Is doing like maybe four sessions, hit two lower two upper is quite good or you, if you really wanted to you could go in for six sessions and do push pull legs push pull legs with one rest day however you only need to go in and f- for those sessions be in there for like 40 45 minutes um do two sets of each exercise keep it 12 a 12 mark or rep range and not be going to absolute failure it, it's up to you you could go in for three sessions but do more volume in the sessions it completely depends on how you split that across um and how it's going to help or hinder your recovery yeah definitely and then i think one really important thing to know and i know this is quite based towards girls who want to get back in straight away and build the glutes and things like that so as ben spoke about before something really important is to not aim for soreness because at home you might not have had that kind of doms feeling that i know a lot of you love which you don't you don't need to love Mm. muscle soreness so already this week and choosing with my exercises and prioritizing exercises that don't place a high stretch on the muscle to put it simply that's literally your barbell rdl so romanian deadlifts with a heavy weight barbell reverse lunges walking lunges basically imagine in your head where your body is really stretched because these exercises known as stretches cause the most muscle damage now if this happens and you've, you've got this soreness, it's obviously not going to help with hypertrophy. It's not going to help with your long-term progression. And also realistically, you'll be so sore, it's not obviously going to help with your performance. So mm-hmm. you're not actually going to be performing that well. So one really important thing to note is just when you're back in the gym, aim to prioritize exercises that don't cause too much muscle damage, i.e. don't place a high stretch on the muscle. Yeah, so what Lucy's basically saying is we want movements that work the muscle well without being absolutely fucked from it. 
Well, basically, yeah. yeah. So again, once we've been in those, that kind of first two weeks, then what we can do is move into like a week three or four back into the gym. And this is where we may start implementing some more compound lifts. But again, just remember compound lifts are more demanding on the body, more demanding on the joints. They take longer to recover from. However, once you've been back into that training a little bit, it's something that we can start to implement more of. We can start to turn up the RP to like an eight. Mm. Um, but again, just, just kind of measure this on your own individual basis and how you're recovering from it. So that kind of stage of week three or four is where we can start to up the weight a little bit. You may even add an extra set in. Um, of each exercise that week and start the use of more compound exercises. I think once you've been through that first month of that transition phase, then you can maybe start to get more into normal programming again and into your normal reps and set rep ranges and start to, to build back that strength that was lost once your body's kind of tuned back in again to that mind-muscle connection, being able to train and being um, able to recover at a sufficient rate. Yeah, well, oh my God, my voice. <laughs> yeah, 100%. And I think one of the most important things to know is to enjoy it. Yeah. You know, enjoy that process of going back to the gym. And obviously what Ben briefly touched on before, we have a back to the gym challenge where the enrollment opens on the 3rd of August. Now, this challenge is going to basically be everything we just spoke about in this podcast as well, because we are coaches we know what we're talking about and it's not bullshit in terms of the programs that you're going to get from the My Coach School. We want you to progress in the right ways. We don't want you to absolutely fuck yourself mm. over. And also we want you to enjoy it with a community of thousands of people who are all doing it together. Mm. I think having a community of loads of people and like individuals who are all on this same journey is so empowering. And we do have that with the My Coach School. So you can go to our Instagram, so at Lucy Davis underscore fit or at my coach Benji or just the school page at my coach school and you will find the link in the bio for the waiting list. Yeah. I would definitely suggest you get yourself on the waiting list. It's already like crazy busy just so you can get like head in mm-hmm. straight head in straight away to the challenge and you can enroll on the 3rd of August. Yeah, I think this is going to be our biggest challenge of the year just for the fact that obviously gyms are open back up. However, as part of this program, we are still continuing to give people home training if they are not yes. ready to get back into the gym. But if this sounds like a bit of you, it sounds like, right, that's the kind of program that I like to follow, something that's going to phase me back in, something that's going to scale me back in, something that I'm not going to be overwhelmed with, then everything we've included in this podcast is pretty much what we're putting into the programming for our members to make it the best transition from home to gym possible. And again, with this challenge, we're going to be giving away a prize, as we always do. And the prize for this challenge that we're running is that we're going to be sending the winner off to Barcelona. Barcelona. And I know it's probably scary looking at it at the moment, going abroad. And this is why we said, as part of this challenge, people can people can choose when they want to go away. We're going to leave the dates up to you. So we're going to be spent, sending people to an all-expensive paid holiday to Barcelona with a plus one. We wouldn't expect you to go on your own. But this could be next week. It could be next month. It can even be next year. There's no pressure for you to go away and take that whole day it's completely up to you and this is a challenge i'm really excited about because i'm going to be doing the programming with you guys as well as lucy is and again as we said if you want to find out more about it join the waiting list join our facebook group there's going to be loads of news in there um because of it and again as always please 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 keep recommending the podcast to people if you enjoyed it then please let other people enjoy it. Let other people take this knowledge away from it. Keep sharing it on your stories. Keep tagging us. We really, really appreciate you guys sharing the podcast and 
also if you know if you have 10 seconds in your day just to leave a positive review on the podcast it's really really helpful to me and lucy in the content that we're putting out yeah 100 percent. so have a great day or evening wherever you are in the world and we'll catch you soon and always remember don't be a dick to yourself <laughs> bye guys <laughs>